BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Horror has found a home. Welcome to The House, a terrifying new novel by Paul Caro. The day began when Sheriff Frank Watkins found two bodies and three heads. Then things got strange. Paranormal TV host Charlie Thunder Rains has spent a lifetime seeking answers to the supernatural. While scouting locations, he spots a desperate woman no one on the crew can see. It appears he will finally receive answers, but at what cost? In the small town of Tether Falls, Maine, an ancient house appears in a previously empty field. Yoga instructor Susie Porter thought she'd left her past behind by moving cross-country and changing her name. When a door materializes in her studio, Susie steps through only to find the past never truly dies. Before the day is over, more doors will open, transporting residents to a place which should not exist. The events bring together nine strangers with nine secrets so dark they plan to take them to their graves. And only one house is willing to accommodate them all. Welcome to The House, where secrets go to die. The House by Paul Caro is digitally exclusive on Amazon. Paperbacks are available at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other fine retailers. The House is now open. Enter if you dare. You're listening to Nightmare on Film Street. The current time is 6.66. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife. But it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on nightmare time. So, let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to Nightmare on Film Street. I'm John. I'm Kim. And we are here today to talk about two John's movies. birthday! It's my birthday! I'll podcast if I want to, I guess. We're here today to talk about two movies that I have selfishly picked. Selflessly. So selflessly, sure. Now, July at Nightmare on Film Street, both the podcast and the website, is all about Guilty pleasures, your your greedy guts picks, movies that you love despite what the world has told you about them. I think the two movies we were talking about today are the absolute perfect picks that represent that for a specific age group, I think. When you think so bad it's good type movies, you immediately think of things like The Room, but... Uh, he never blatantly becomes a vampire, so we can't talk about it on the podcast, even though maybe he might be a vampire. We are instead talking about the millennial classic, I Know Who Killed Me, 
Starring Lindsay Lohan. Starring Lindsay Lohan and Joel Schumacher's The Number 23. With Jim Carrey. With Jim Carrey. Oh, man. Such great lead performances for such these movies. Such great, 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 great performances. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. Gre- greedy Guts uh, and Guilty Pleasures Month at Nightmare on Film Street is always so strange to me because they, they are... We represent two different categories of movie watching. There is the ironic movie watching, where that's your so bad it's good category. We're like, I don't really like this, but oh boy, oh am boy. I enjoying it. <laughs> and then also the other the, the other side of it is the movies that you are like five star, 10 out of 10, love it, will watch it every day of the week, but has not been well received by critics. It's basically Crazy Hair Day at Nightmare on Film Street. That's for a great a whole way to describe month. it. <laughs> you remember Crazy Hair Day where like half the girls came like Cindy Lou Who and then some of us just never stopped? What? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> One year uh, at school, I took an old ice cream bucket and I strung a bunch of yarn through the top of it. So I had like orange and green hair and then I cut you eye holes out of it. You just wore a bucket? I basically wore a bucket that had crazy <laughs> hair on it. Yeah, it was fun. I braided uh, a coat hanger into my hair once and then I, I made it all like wavy. That's incredible. And so I had braids that were all like Pippi Longstocking, like sticking straight out. I was pretty proud of it. Kim, what's keeping you creepy this week? Can I say mugs? Is mugs a thing I can say? Sure. I'm saying mugs. All right. Uh, we finally got Nightmare on Film Street mugs. It's kind of been like a low-key goal of ours for a really long time to have super cool mugs. Yeah. And because we're a horror brand, they had to be like black mugs. And it was really hard to find somebody who made a good black mug. And we finally have one. And it's dishwasher safe. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, yeah. microwave safe. And it's big. It's not like a tiny ass mug. It's a full ass 15 ounce. I don't know if that resonates with anybody big coffee mug (laughs) it has been such a journey it's so weird to think of how many variables are in play when you want to find a good mug it's got to be the right size it's got to be microwave and dishwasher safe and it can't look like you just slapped a fucking sticker on it exactly and i hate mugs because i've i've bought spooky mugs before I'm looking at you, Spirit Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> uh, where the 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 design has like washed off within three weeks. So I have a few like Hocus Pocus and like Nightmare Before Christmas mugs that did not survive the wash. I mean, even mugs from Disney don't always hold up. I got. I know. I've had one where it's it's so goddamn big and it's so cool, but it's it it can hold more weight than it can handle, and it just breaks off in your goddamn hand when you're trying to eat a gigantic bowl of cereal in a mug. In a mug. So anyways, yeah, we have Nightmare on Film Street mugs. They are amazing. They rock. We've tested them out ourselves because we like drinking out of our own faces. You can grab one if you want at store.nofspodcast.com. And if you haven't checked out our store in a while, by all means do. We have all of our classic Nightmare on Film Street merch. We might be dropping some more stuff soon. A little teaser there. Just waiting on Canada Post to stop being so slow. And we have a ton of horror shirts and stuff, some really fun, random, Halloween-y, spooky horror stuff. Um, And that's all at our web store at store.nofspodcast.com. 
While we're talking greedy guts, though, I just want to give a quick plug for nofspodcast.com. Please go check out all the incredible work that our editorial team has been putting together this month. Uh, It is the, as always, the strangest collection of uh, of horror reporting that you're ever going to see anywhere. The like people that have finally revisited movies they thought they fever dreamed as children, or just finally having an opportunity to talk about the weirdest fan theories they have and or, or just celebrating movies that everyone has always told them oh these are garbage like july at nightmare on film street is the opportunity to shout from the rooftops uh, about movies like disturbing behavior which jessica has defended in a much more academic sense than i think anybody ever has before uh josh's article on monster high which sounds like a the, the craziest movie you've ever possibly seen but uh two of my favorite articles right now uh one is called ugly ducklings which is really just a list post uh of movies that have that are certified rotten including movies you love like final destination did you know it has 35% criminal yeah absurd uh and also a uh, mannequin madness post which posits the theory that house of wax from 2005 uh celebrated favorite on the nightmare film street podcast Woo! of course dark castle remake it has more dna of tourist trap from 1979 than it does house of wax from 1953 the movie it's supposed to be a remake of and i gotta tell you airtight argument there are still images from both of those movies side by side that really prop that up. One of my favorite articles right now is kind of a guilty pleasure every month. It's Max Saturday Morning Screams article. Oh, yeah. This month totally plucked something out of my brain. The Tales from the Crypt series. We've talked about that on the podcast. Before. Have we? Oh, yeah. But but in the sense like, but that, was that, it like that was it's real, It's a real right? thing. Yeah. The show was Secrets of the Crypt Keeper's Haunted House. It was like crazy obstacle game show and you're in a haunted house and it... It was the funnest thing ever, and I thought I'd imagined it, and it's real, and thank you, Mac. I can live the rest of my life knowing that I'm not insane. It was almost part of the Mandela effect, right? Like, no, no, I'm telling you, this game existed, it- but no one remembers. <laughs> oh, boy. You're sitting in your the office, you've got red string connecting from, like... <laughs> newspaper clippings to clips of the TV show. I'm like, the Crypt Keeper hosted a game show! (laughs) (laughs) So obviously it's tapping into a lot of things we love, but I mean, there are... Honestly, the content is endless uh, at uh, nofspodcast.com, including celebrations of movies like Alligator, like the Creature Feature B movie that people forgot about. It's celebrating its 40th year, and it's better than ever. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) According to Paul. uh, And and, and also a love letter from Julio about Resident Evil 7, which uh, is essentially horror video games love letter to horror movies, which I think we're all appreciating right now that uh, The Last of Us Part 2 is out. Kim and I have not had a chance to uh, to play it. But Were we I'm, planning on playing oh, I'm it? I'm totally planning oh. on playing it. Are you oh, kidding me? Oh, we have me? not Holy had shit. a chance yet to play it. <laughs> so as always, to say it a third time, nofspodcast.com. Your one destination stop for every, like, no niche too small. <laughs> no obsession. Are you making up tagline? No obsession too obscure for July's month. <laughs> um, also, a shout out to Relic, which is out now on VOD. Y'all ready to cry? <laughs> Y'all ready to cry? Wah, 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 wah. Yeah. yeah, it's out now on VOD and drive-ins, so check if there's a drive-in near you playing it, because if you're missing that theatrical experience, there are still movies hitting the drive-in, which is always awesome. Relic is just this gut-wrenching, slow-burn horror film 
that John and I both just cannot say enough vague positive things about yeah that's that's one of the things like i i, I would recommend trying to go into it as uh, as uninformed as possible but i've watched the trailer and the trailer does not give t- too much away that's great yeah but it, it, it definitely gets across the sense of unease that this movie is dealing out and if you want a little extra bonus content on Relic, we just released a Nightmare Alley episode of the Nightmare on Film Street podcast where we interviewed, interviewed, spoke with Natalie Erica James, the writer-director of Relic, and that was a great experience. We got to talk about turning her short Creswick into Relic and the Australian film industry and all sorts of fun stuff like that. And it's not too spoilery on the film, so you can actually listen to it before you watch Relic. Actually, speaking of drive-ins, which also gives us a bit of a good segue into the rest of the episode, we went to the drive-in ourselves last night, the night that we're recording this, and we saw a double feature of Beetlejuice and the Lost Boys. Beetlejuice, always five stars. So good. Incredible. Uh, And it's been a while since uh, I've sat down and really paid attention to The Lost Boys, and holy shit, does that movie still hold up. Such a fun movie for the drive-in, too. It's like such a great summer film. What a vibe that movie has, too, right? Just like late 80s vampires as heroin addicts that totally are just... You love the drugged-out vampire thing. Oh, I love the drugged-out vampire thing. It's a weird sub-sub-sub-genre that you are just way too into. I'm also very into 90s heroin movies, so I I'm mean, into 90s movies. hair. <laughs> this, and this is the collision that makes our podcast so odd. But, uh, <laughs> but, but you know, it goes without saying that we recently lost uh, filmmaker Joel Schumacher whose work has spanned many decades and, you know, includes highlight films like The Lost Boys, of course, the fucking Batman movies, which I'd recently introduced Kim to. Oh, boy. Yeah, which I think is the first time that he worked with Jim Carrey uh, and would later return with the number 23. Uh, Which we're talking about today, obviously. We got a lot of not great things to say about it. And we're... We're... <laughs> we're kind in a very fun way i think but... it's one of those so bad it's good so horrible we love it but it is worth saying that we did record this podcast before joel schumacher's passing so just bear that in mind when you listen to the rest of the episode yeah if we have anything weird to say uh it's 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 only because we were living in the past And lastly, before we get started, I want to give a huge shout out. A big thank you from me on my birthday week and Canada's birthday month. I guess the state's birthday month, really. Everybody's birthday. (laughs) Happy birthday to you, Robert, Desiree, Caroline, Jason, Jeffrey, Sarah, Danny, Greg, Emma, Stephen, Alyssa, and Sean. If it's not your birthday today, I'm sure it's your birthday Within the next 365 days. (laughs) Yeah, right? (laughs) Happy belated, happy early birthday, and thank you very much from us uh, for supporting our silly, weird little show. I hope you enjoy the, the nonsense that is July at Nightmare on Film Street. If you want to support the show on Patreon, you can head to patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street. We do these fun, silly shout outs. There's bonus content episodes, merch, swag, all sorts of fun stuff there. Before, John, I don't want to steal your birthday limelight, but I'm going to do it just for a quick second. Oh, oh, sure. (laughs) My birthday's already over and it's only just begun. (laughs) My episode coming up uh, after John's very exciting, thrilling, so bad it's good episode. (laughs) 
uh, are two movies that are a little bit harder to find, so I wanted to give you a heads up on them. Uh, we'll be talking about Cry underscore Wolf. It's just Cry Wolf. Cry crazy. underscore Wolf, <laughs> um, which we had a really hard time finding. We had to get like a used DVD on Amazon. And The Hole from 2001, it stars Thora Birch. It's got Keira Knightley in it. There's a lot of movies called The Hole. Um, so that's the one we will be talking about. Also another movie that would have been hard to find if we didn't have it on DVD. Yeah, I think it's on Amazon. So either way, hopefully maybe you've already seen it or you are one of you, like, you're like me and you already own them. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, those are the movies that we'll be talking about for my episode. So I just want to give you a heads up if you can find it, if you can borrow it from a friend. If not, we definitely will go into the movies in pretty good detail. So you can listen to them if you haven't seen the movies. But sorry to steal, steal your episode, John. You can have the floor. What are we talking about first? First up, we're talking about Joel Schumacher's The Number 23. Suppose I'm buying that for you, too. Actually, I've had a good long time to flip through it. Why don't you give it a try? <laughs> the Number 23, a heart-wrenching odyssey into paranoia, one of the most horrifying metamorphosis ever told. I'm buying this for you. Chapter 1. All I could think about was the number... I met you when I was... 23. And the day we met was? September 14th. 9-14. 14 plus 9 is? 23. Is it all just a coincidence? I don't know. So what is 23? There are 23 axioms to Euclid's geometry. The human body consists of 46 chromosomes. 23 from each parent. 2 divided by 3? Point. 666. Number the devil. So is 23 a blessing or a curse? I was born at 11, 12 p.m. 11 plus 12. 23. My birthday, 23. Driver's license, social security number. It's all 23. Sif, it's imitating my life. You've concerned yourself with minutia and you've drawn wild conclusions from them. Every 23rd word on every 23rd page. I warn you, hell is waiting. The number. What does that mean? You know. Waco, Texas, and the Oklahoma City bombing both happened on April 19th. You gotta get out, it's coming for you. Four plus 19 is 23. This is not who you are! The Hiroshima bomb was dropped at 8.15. Yeah! 8 plus 15 is 23. 13 years of lies! No more! Don't do this to us! Number 23 is currently sitting at a 6.4 out of 10 on IMDb and 8% on Rotten Tomatoes. Roger Ebert just pretended it didn't exist and uh, 2.6 out of 5 on Letterboxd. 2.6? 2.6. Wow. Letterboxd definitely came into invention after the so good it's so bad it's good movement. So I think... <laughs> I think, I think it's of 2008, get, one yeah. year after this film came out. Yep, yep. I think it got a 2.1 point bump. 2.1 point bump? Yeah. Before we get into the movie, John. Yes. I just want to officially, on the record, uh-huh. here on the Nightmare on Film Street podcast. Uh-oh. Thank you. Oh. 
for your commitment Yay. to So Bad It's Good. Because uh, <laughs> you know that's not my brand. You're doing us a real service here by sacrificing your birthday week pick to, to terrible, terrible movies that I am so excited to talk about. This is so our brand. <laughs> you know, it just seems like a more fun discussion than talking about two other David Lynch movies as much as I want to. <laughs> It'll, oh, you know, there's to. always next birthday, John. But yeah, like normally we we use this month, the guilty pleasure month, to pick like really not right for the podcast picks, and we're never. Are we gonna ever have a so bad it's good theme month? When I first said it out loud, I was like, no, we won't. But, but now, at, saying- now that I'm saying, I'm like, why haven't we? We've just never had the opportunity to talk about these two movies and have a reason to revisit them. I haven't seen this movie since 2007, have you? No. No, uh, not at all. <laughs> I'm not I'm not making that pilgrimage more than once. Yeah, I remembered nothing about this movie but that it was like so confusing and I have now watched it and I'm in the same boat as I was before I watched it. <laughs> I had a secret feeling that it was gonna be not as bad as we remember. And, uh, you know, in, in some regard, it's not as bad as I remember it being. What? Well, I was an incredibly critical person in 2007. Now I can just recognize that it's fun. And just like, I don't like, what? oh, my life's ruined. I'll oh. never get these two hours back. Like, nah, that, yeah, that, the, that feeling's over. The anger of like 17, 18 year old movie watching yeah. has definitely lifted from us. Yeah. I I don't feel like personally offended when a movie <laughs> doesn't sit well with me i'm just like oh that sucks and then you leave the theater or you put something else on you know as much as all movies are miracles that they've ever made and they're, they're they're all somehow magic that like they shouldn't exist and for every single movie you see on a screen hundreds of thousands of other movies are just you know never how many made. ideas had to die for you to see that movie how many good ideas had to die for number 23 <laughs> that's what i'm saying when you watch it you're like holy shit so many people signed off on this so many people were on set were like, there test screenings who knows it's too, it's too late by the time you get to test screenings what are you gonna do new line cinema is not gonna be like you know what you're right we should just reshoot this and scrap the whole it's, thing and it was just before the era of this movie is not great maybe instead of a, like a wide theatrical release we just silently drop it on netflix that wasn't a thing in oh, 2007 yeah. it this could have this could have been cloverfield paradoxed so hard. <laughs> this could have been paradoxed away. Yeah. Uh, the craziest thing, though, about the credits of this film uh-huh. is that the screenwriter has... Zero other credits. He's got one film from 2013 that I have never heard of. And oh. on the Wikipedia for number 23, he's not even clickable. Like, he's not. he doesn't even have a, an <laughs> article to spy on him. So Either fake I'm, person. Oh, or oh, shit. change their name after this movie. That's even better. No, but that, does that mean that this was a spec sale? Like, Does that mean that Probably. this was a script that was being shopped around Hollywood because it was so fucking good? And then they got Jim Carrey attached and they're like, we've done it again, Hollywood. Hold Another one in the bag. On a second. When was the writer's strike? Like, when was that big monumental, this is going to send waves through the next year of filmmaking and TV writer's strike? I have no idea. I, I'm gonna. I'm just gonna, without looking it up, say 2007. Like I think. <laughs> I think New Line had to rush this one out. Like whatever we got, we gotta put in development right now because otherwise we're screwed for the next year. Just like this to read stack. Yeah, exactly. 
They're like, like number 23, sounds great. <laughs> you're producing this. You're producing this. You're producing this. And they're just like throwing darts at the actors. <laughs> like, okay, Jim Carrey, number 23. Joel Schumacher just happened to be walking past the office door with a bagel <laughs> in his hand. Like, Joel, it's yours. What? No. <laughs> uh, Can I put a dog in it? <laughs> a dog named Ned. I forgot that he has a name. He's, I would say at least like fourth in the starring cast, the dog. He He's is a lot of the catalyst time. for this movie. He sets the plot into motion. This dog. So Jim Carrey's character Walter is a dog catcher, animal wrangler. He's <laughs> an animal services manager. I don't know. Yeah, he's, he's, he's a Ace Ventura pet detective, um, the but in a serious world. <laughs> And he gets called to this Chinese food restaurant and there's this mean dog in the back who bites his arm and in that moment runs away. And as a dog wrangler, he chases after him and then the dog like... Leads him to a cemetery. To a specific tombstone. Yeah. For a woman. And the dog is just like sitting there being all pensive. And and the dog disappears, doesn't he? Doesn't he, like, look at his wound and look back at the tombstone and the dog's gone? I think and so. he's like, oh, shit, I'm late for my own birthday. I'm already confusing it with the second time the dog goes to the tombstone because this movie is a thing. The dog's, the dog's all over this movie and is he's, the dog is all-knowing. The dog is death. And, uh, no, <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, sorry, I'm not gonna, put, I'm not gonna throw that out there. Okay, let's. But l- he is definitely overseeing the plot. <laughs> let's, let's at least take the moment to ask. Are there visual metaphors in this movie? Is the or- dog real? <laughs> <laughs> Is Ned real? Well, what I, I guess he works for the church. <laughs> oh, he does work. He does actually work for the church, though. Maybe, he does. maybe he's um like an angel dog who lets the murderers know that they're murderers. I think he's hiding out in the church. It's just a clever place to to put a a criminal who aided and abetted a murder. Like he are you ex- saying Ned's an aided or he's an abetter? accessory after the fact. That's for sure. Oh boy. Okay. So in this whole dog follow showdown, which happened at five o'clock when his shift was done, uh-huh. Walter is late to pick up his wife Agatha, played by Virginia Madsen. Woo. There's a bookstore next door to her cake shop. Yeah. She goes in. Picks up this like she, re- no, I, I should I should point out she is entranced. She is compelled. She is drawn to a single Warren, red leather yeah. bound book. <laughs> it's not leather bound, but I'm seeing the picture it? you're painting. It's just a, a worn red book, and I don't know how long she's been in this bookstore. Clearly days because she's read the whole book. That's the one thing that's fucked throughout this whole <laughs> movie. She ins- like as as Jim Carrey's character Walter is going over the edge, reading Getting obsessed, obsessed with this book, drawing connections from his own life to this fictional character. She's like, I think maybe you should continue reading, and you know, oh, you don't know what's gonna happen to Fingerling in the end. And she reveals that she's read the whole book, but, pretty much. <laughs> but also, this entire movie takes place over maybe four days. It takes him days of reading, but she managed to flip through it in half an hour with a cake in her other hand. <laughs> <laughs> How did she flip a Important page? Important facts. So she buys him this book because this is also his birthday. And he is engrossed in the most terrible, pulpy novel of all time. It's garbage. It is so bad. It would only be compelling to somebody who wrote it themselves, though. Oh. Mm. oh. Ned. Ned. Ned wrote <laughs> that book. So the book follows this detective named Fingerling. <clears throat> so dumb. Worst name. Who is this saxophone playing bad guy? Yeah. Who's too cool for school and likes to. I guess he's a. So he's a detective. 
He does detective-y things. And then I, who I thought was his partner, Fabrizia, not his partner, but also like- Also played by Virginia Madsen. Also played by Virginia Madsen in a dark wig. It's just it, his girlfriend. It's just his girlfriend who he takes to crime scenes to, to have sex with. Sex violence. So it was all she ever and wanted. And all of it. So all of these fingerling scenes, we go into literal flashbacks of stories of Yeah, <laughs> of like dramatizations of what he's reading. It's just like shitty one-liners and then a topless, like serious Jim Carrey with horrible, horrible tattoos. Like these tribal chest arm pieces that just do not suit him at all. And no. you just, you do not buy the serious, sexy Jim Carrey at no. all. Like, he's done serious films and he's done a really great job, but this is just not one of those roles. Unfortunately not. The thing that I come up against the most with this movie, I can't even say the most, there's a lot you come up with against, um, <laughs> is those dramatizations. One, because, yes, the performances are very bizarre. It's like... It's like the crow meets bad Humphrey Bogart. But they're so over serious. Like they're they're saying things that that they have like complete conviction about, but they make no sense. Like so the first case he meets is Suicide Blonde, who's this woman who's trying to kill herself, who is the first to present this 23 obsession. Yeah. And her like main sticking point is that her favorite color is pink and red is this number, white is this number. And if you add the two, you get this number. But if you divide by four, which is the number of letters that are in pink, you get 23. And it's just like, you did all these weirdly selected steps to get to the number 23 like Agreed. if you just add up the num the numbers of the letters pink you don't get 23 exactly why and did we have to do 12 steps to get to the number 23 all you're ever gonna do is more math until it equals 23 you're just validating your own point with your yeah. own math it's movies like this that help me uh, realize why people didn't like under the silver lake but I think Under the Silver Lake is a great example of, of the exact same thing. Like, none of it matters. None of it makes any sense. It's all only adding up to the things you want it to. Not to get too far into Under the Silver Lake, because that does sound like a perfect movie for that my episode. That is a great episode. comparison for, like, movies that are trying to achieve the same sort of, like, obsessive, greater picture story. Yeah, but they ultimately mean nothing, you know? Like, it's... Or do they? But this <laughs> film isn't trying to lead to nothing. It's trying to be, like... A Shyamalan mystery. Yeah. And I don't honestly think the number 23 theory, whatever they, whatever it's called, because it's a thing that people- The 23 enigma. Thank you. The 23 enigma. Um, I don't think it matters to the movie at all. Like, I think it could just be any obsessive thing whatsoever. Like, it doesn't, it's not integral to anything other than the fact that we need a character who's obsessed with something, who dives deep into obsession, and doesn't return. Mm -hmm. So who fucking cares? Like, it doesn't mean anything to the rest of the movie. Yeah. I think probably the weirdest thing for me about this movie, and it's such a fleeting glimpse that I don't even, I don't know if, if anybody else is going to kind of feel the same way, but when he first gets obsessed, it's not on camera it is his obsession sparks somewhere and we don't see it so he's he we're in a dramatization of the book and then when we cut back to walter's life he's already spent the entire oh, he, day in the basement, in the basement <laughs> rooting around for what we find out when he's showing his wife this book about a fingerling character so it's like a book from his childhood 
with incidents that mirror his own but we, eighth birthday. There's no moment where we get we see him reading the book and he's like, "What? What the fuck is this? What are you talking about?" We, there's so many scenes where Jim Carrey goes, "Huh? Hmm? What? Huh?" Like while he's just <laughs> looking at pages, like uh, even in the bookstore, it's like he's already fallen into it. I just, uh, I just <laughs> do not buy it. And the jump to like the look at this character in this book was too far, too fast. You know, I do want to love Jim Carrey as a noir detective, though. I gotta say, every time he's talking, I want to buy it. I uh, really do. The some <laughs> stuff is so bad, though. I know, but even just the idea of like, I hate the name Fingerling, but like the idea that he he calls her suicide blonde, and that's all he ever calls her, and just like. I'm a big fan. There's of nothing noirs. better than the smile on the on a dame or something, and then she like <laughs> yeah. kills herself in front of him, and you're like, oh, fingerling. <laughs> I later learned her name was Susan. <laughs> like, but like, <laughs> just stuff like, oh, oh no, shit, shit. It's 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 like she's a, she's talking about pink and all these things, and I said the only one thing that came to mind. More coffee. You got any coffee? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Like, yes. I gotta say, this movie made 1946. Probably my favorite movie. Like, I would love this movie so much oh. if it was in black and white straight okay, from the beginning. Okay, let's talk about... Let's talk about the, the color c- palette. Oh, boy. <laughs> this movie is bleached the fuck out. The contrast is turned up to 98. It glows where it shouldn't. It's oh, so weird. It's so... <laughs> you, can't, you cannot even differentiate between characters on one side of the screen to the other. Like, it is so insane. And lots of lots of daytime for nighttime shots, and I think it's just to get that lots of shadows vibe, but it's not working for me. Oh man, the fingerling fictional sequences are almost unwatchable because they're so bleached out. Did you feel like it was really weird when we first went into the dramatization stuff? You know, it's not some lost novel from his favorite author. You know, uh, or it's some crazy book that the bookkeeper's like, oh, I didn't realize we put that on the shelves. That book's cursed. Everybody who's bought it has gone insane. Like, there's no real reason for us to get into the dramatization. It's just like, oh, it's a movie about a book. And when he reads the book, we go into the book. Like, And we, the thing too, is we never really get an opportunity to learn who Walter is apart from crazy Walter. There is no- I think that's intentional though, right? I, I know, but like, he's got a wife, he's got a kid, he's got the most boring job ever. What is his life? She owns her own business and he catches dogs. Like, it's just the pairing Don't between Don't belittle them. the man's I work. Just, I want to understand what their life is. And, and all we're seeing is fingerling. Like he's the, barely holding on. I think we should be happy that he's got a job. <laughs> we're, I, I don't know. And then... The, <laughs> And then he does like that super like I'm a cool dad but still a weird dad move when his son's got a girlfriend over on his own oh, birthday. Oh god. And th- <laughs> so yeah, like the only scene we really get to learn anything about him is the sequence after he gets the dog bite, he has to go see a counselor to make sure he doesn't hate animals now. And he- Uses the opportunity to just, like, talk a bunch of weird shit about he his wife. cracks a bunch of weird Jim really Carrey weird. jokes. Yeah, they don't land. And it's just a Jim Carrey moment. It's not, we're not seeing Walter. It's almost like you get a peek into what it must be like when Jim Carrey to just, To work like, with Jim Carrey. Or he just goes to the bank, and the bank teller doesn't have a sense of humor. <laughs> It's, I always think about that scene in Mrs. Doubtfire. I knew it. I knew it. Yes, where he's <laughs> you talking. You want to see my impression of a hot dog? Uh, <laughs> yeah, where he's talking to the, the child care worker. And, oh, yeah, it's good. Yeah, but like you take all the humor out of that. Like you're a fly on the wall for just an uncomfortable conversation. <laughs> Doesn't and that's she ask like. him like, you think you're funny? And he's like, I used to until this moment. <laughs> until this moment. <laughs> until today or something. Uh, what a better movie. It's a good one. 
Oh. It's a better movie about somebody pretending to be somebody else. Oh boy. Now, I got us there there are a few moments in this movie that I go, mm, that's good. Like it's occasionally where they do something. I'm like, okay, that visual, awesome. There's there's a moment where Jim Carrey is hiding in a closet, and like Jim Carrey as Fingerling is hiding in a closet watching Fabrizia's lover discover her dead body and then get framed for it. The police never look in the closet. They they never they never search the apartment. Just when they show up, they go, "That's the guy that did it." It's gross. Put him in jail. Uh, but there's a shot of just like the light passing across his face and both of his eyes. It just looks awesome. It looks great. And secondly, and I know you're gonna have a problem with this, <laughs> is when Fabricia makes him take her to the crime scene of Suicide Blonde. And that's where he's... I, I love that this guy is so apathetic to the world and cares so little about everything that while he's having sex with, like, weird, crazy sex, okay, from one wall to the next with his girlfriend, he's busy reading the paper on the <laughs> wall because he's starting to fall into her obsession. And it's while they're having sex that the papers are falling off the walls. And we're seeing more of, of the reality of the 23 Enigma. I think that's cool. Like, <laughs> I, I like that. It's a good visual. Okay. I, I And honestly, I think it pairs really well with the end of the movie. And I think, honestly, this is my favorite part of the movie, where the book ends at chapter 22, right? There is no 23rd chapter in the book. Okay. Until we get to the hotel room where it all went down. Where it's been re-wallpapered. peel back all the <laughs> wallpaper. And fucking chapter 23 is scrawled in just like a crazy man's handwriting on every surface of the hotel he room. He had a typewriter. He wrote a manuscript. Like, why did he write the rest of it on the wall? Because his obsession could not be contained on the page, Kim. Okay. So let's, let's break down the ending of this movie. Sure. How do we even get into it? Okay, so... Turns out... We're skipping the second act. Forget surprise, it, surprise. Walter wrote the book. Walter is... Was there any doubt? Turnsecrets <laughs> or top secrets, whatever. Oh, another brilliant moment is when they... Uh, when they corner top secrets because they find the P.O. box. That and they send him 23 boxes of packing peanuts. They send him 23 peanuts. boxes of packing peanuts. Uh. But he's got to come investigate because somebody called him and said, I think it's a genius move. It's weird that they used the biggest goddamn boxes in the world. But the the, the fact that somebody has sent The this UPS person, store where they filmed this felt like a product placement. It was just <laughs> such a weird scene. It was so out of place. Anyway, this guy shows up and... It's an older guy, and he's scared, and then once once Jim Carrey corners him, and he's trying to figure out, like, what the fuck is up with this book? He kills himself, which I gotta say is the only person that would ever put that in a movie is a writer. This Classic Topsy move. Well, this person it plagiarized a writer and is benefiting off another person's work, and then once being discovered, m kills himself? Like, only a writer would put that in anything. <laughs> The cardinal sin. Well, it's it's just <laughs> plagiarism. Like, <laughs> exactly right. <laughs> oh oh boy. boy! And just the the reveal that Topsy Kretz, <laughs> like what a brilliant name for a horrible movie, <laughs> for a character who's oh we're gonna hide who the real author is because it's top secret. <gasps> Ooh, that's the name we should use. I I just I wanted to be there in that room. Oh. And I love that the, when in flashbacks when we see this old man plagiarizing his work, we don't even show him ripping off the cover page or retyping the book out. He just 
just he just cuts a piece like a, of he's paper. He's like a label writer to write over Walter's <laughs> yeah, name. Yeah, like he just whited it out and sent it off to the publisher. Like, it's totally mine. Okay, so the craziest thing about this is Walter's the murderer. The yeah. story is his deranged confession about killing his younger self's girlfriend yeah. who was cheating on him with her professor. Yeah. Who was pinned for the crime. Yep. And who Walter initially thought was top secrets, but not the case. And when he goes to corner him in prison, the guy doesn't even take the opportunity to say, I know. you fucking did it, man. And this dog, who has nothing to do with anything, <laughs> knows the tombstone of the girl he murdered. Yep. Uh, Watched him bury her body. <laughs> we so, didn't even talk about that. Okay. No, let's talk about this body part. <laughs> oh. So this is the craziest part of the movie is he leaves himself a clue <laughs> if, if he... Pieces together every 23rd word. On every 23rd page. It's not even. <laughs> of his own confession for if he accidentally didn't successfully murder himself and got amnesia. Yeah. Which would lead him to where the body is of the woman he murdered. Yeah, at the bottom of the steps. Because of the something. headstone is just the headstone. There's no body there. It's just a marker. That body was never found. Which they. Well, okay. He goes to unbury the corpse. Him and his son discover the girl he murdered yeah, well, with I mean, his son, father-daughter, father-son activities. <laughs> when he goes back with the police to show them, the body is gone, yeah. which leads him to believe his wife is the is top secrets and the murderer. And she confesses, no, I'm not. But I did move the body? I don't get that. Oh, my God. Because, like, how did... You don't even necessarily know... Like, let's just go inside the mind of Virginia Madsen for a second. Like, she doesn't know that he committed a murder. She does at this point because she went... She snuck to the hospital. She's the one that found out that he wrote the novel. And... Why would she move the corpse? Unless she was trying to, she was like, oh shit, my husband is crazy. And where do they definitely murdered someone? I'm gonna hide the only remaining evidence to the crime. Yeah, what's a, it's a Fabrizia move. I'll give her that. That is a full (laughs) Fabrizia. But Ned sees the whole thing. I love that there are flashbacks where we just see the dog in the shadows watching it all go down. Like, this is the oldest dog, and it has become <laughs> his life mission from puppy to just elderly dog. That's so true. How old is this dog? At least as old as... Well, I mean, I don't even know how long he was in. Because he's got a teenager. He's got a teenager. The kid's like 13, I think. So the dog's at least 13, plus however long he was in the mental institution. Also, in those flashbacks... Definitely There's already a meet looked cute like... with Virginia Madsen. <laughs> he meets her literally outside the crazy house. Isn't she still holding a cake he at that point? He gets discharged too? and walks into her cake. And then but I love that he's like cured, quote unquote, but doesn't remember anything, including the day he left the mental asylum. Thank like God he, just... he left himself those clues in that manuscript that got published by that deranged doctor. And he found that book 15 years later so he could solve the murder he committed so he could go to jail like proper like proper yeah at least in the ending we saw There's, what I don't know. john what is that <laughs> what that's just uh that's movie making magic kim oh my god that's exactly what that is movie Holy making shit. magic you mean to tell me you don't like it that he pulls off the wallpaper and the writing's there oh i hate it oh wow oh i hate it you and i watched because a there's, different movie so there's so <laughs> much suspicion when he checks into that hotel because there's a new there's a new hotel desk man but, but the, the original guy is there. there and when he's like i want room 23 he's like what <laughs> and he like looks with his glassy old eyes and he's like i remember you you stayed at 20 20- he doesn't say any of this it's just in that glance 
So they're having a water problem. So the wallpaper is all ruined. So I assume that they've seen that there's writing behind. Definitely. He re-wallpapered the hotel room. He wrote under the wallpaper. John, who re-wallpapers? The owner. The owner did. Mm. I think the owner is the person that put that wallpaper up. Mm. They were just like, fuck it. We'll just re-wallpaper the place. It'll look like brand new and we'll get some more money out of it. Who so cares he's read the murder, murder confession then. I don't know if they ever read it. The thing about this movie is that every single character gives zero shits about a person who committed murder. Like they're Except all Except for the aware. dog. Except for the dog. <laughs> the dog knows and you must atone. If only these lips could talk. <laughs> um... Everybody Did in this you know that Ned adds up to 23? Oh my god. Yeah. I'm not going to lie. Throughout most of the movie, I, everything that I looked at, I was like, I bet this means 23. I was And license plates, I was like, those three numbers add up to 23. And it's like, I'm sure Joel Schumacher couldn't wait to do the director's commentary for this movie. Like, ooh, guess what, guys? 23, 23, 23. 23. 23. Like, pop-up video version of this movie. I would watch that. <laughs> but you don't even have to do anything special about it. You just need the number 23 and an arrow pointing to something. <laughs> You're like, yep, I buy it. I also bet that the hotel that he went to, like the, the, the two letters that keep unflashing, have something to do with equaling 23. Mm. I don't know. Um, everybody in this movie is totally fine with this guy committing murder, and they are all willing to keep that secret unless he decides that he wants to say that he did it. Because every single person we're introduced to, except for his son, knows he committed murder. Everybody, including the dog. Everybody knows he committed murder. That's so true. Because the hotel clerk is just like, oh, number 23, there was a murder there. And like he gives him a weird look because it's like it's like everybody has suspicions that he is the person that killed this girl however many years ago. I'm going to guess 23. Uh, <laughs> and they're totally fine, which is letting that go and letting an innocent man suffer in jail. Yeah. I also love that in the movie they let the innocent man go immediately before, before jim carrey's trial yes like he's just like hey so i did the real murder here are the bones my wife <laughs> robbed them from the grave for me so yeah so i did this murder 15 years ago the dog will tell you everything <laughs> can you oh boy i oh i would love that i would love a, a version of this movie where they put the dog on the stand <laughs> and so they released the guy that was was tried and is actually serving like, no Alfred, you know, nothing. Well, He's just out and free. And they haven't even tried Jim Carrey yet. Nope. Uh, it's fun. And, like, we totally glaze over the fact that he's done a good thing at the end of the movie. He murdered a girl because she was cheating on him. Murder! It's hereditary, Kim. It's not his fault. <sighs> his dad murdered his mom. Because his dad believed in 23. Yeah, see, that's that's the other thing. This movie also tries to play the 23 obsession like a villain like the like death in final destination because you see it jump from person to person like it's it's contagious and it's like a living thing because mm. it calls to virginia madsen like it a thousand percent does the, the, that is the one part of the movie where you, it's it's when? like when she's uh when she's waiting for him and the, the she turns around and the book is there and she's drawn to the book oh like it's it's like that's like the moment in The Shining where the ghosts open the freezer door. Like that's where it's trying to show you that there is some sort of force behind this because his dad had it and then it went away and maybe it went to somebody else for how it, probably 23 years uh, and then it came to me and then it left and it went to the doctor and now and now it's back to me and this uh that's fun. Uh yeah, I guess. If, if it, I guess it's fun. Yeah. Except it, it, John, it wasn't 23 years because the dog and the son are not 23. You mean to tell me that this movie did any math checking, any fact checking, any anything? <laughs> Come on. 
Oh, boy. I'm real surprised with this movie because it's not only is it the second time that Joel Schumacher and Jim Carrey have worked together, but Joel Schumacher has made some very, very good movies. Yeah. Oh, what's that face for? You I love know. you love the Lost Boys. I, you I, love Flatline. No, Lions. I'm just trying to... Like, you just recently fell in love with Batman Forever. I'm just thinking that maybe this film is just the result of editing, but that can't be true, right? Like, they couldn't have edited this into a better movie because the... You bring up a good point, though, because it came in that era of... Um, like, they tried to memento it too much? <laughs> Probably. But it, it it's of that era of horror thrillers that had 17 different endings. Yeah, I wonder if there are a bunch of alternate endings. There are. I do remember a bunch of them. It's like, that was always built into the campaign, that there were alternate endings, that some theaters had different endings, or that when it was coming time for video release, like, see this alternate ending, the unrated cut. Yeah, we don't have the DVD, unfortunately. We just rented it from Google Play, so yeah. we didn't get any extra features or anything. <laughs> it just makes me wonder whether or not it was a period of really not great, films for genre or if it was just an era where we were always using alternate endings to sell home video purchases yeah because there was a period where they were just doing Every alternate endings movie. for the sake of it yeah maybe it was just a remember new the butterfly thing. effect well yeah I think there were so many well that's the thing like the butterfly effect number 23 that one mothman with... prophecies i don't know if that is alternate endings but i really want to watch the mothman prophecies after watching this yeah yeah i want to watch that uh that robert de niro movie where it's like him and his daughter but they're both crazy oh, with the or... boogeyman or something something like that yeah oh, that's fuck. another one of those like check out all of our alternate endings fucking final destination three made it a gimmick that you could just recut the entire movie if you wanted to final destination needs to team up with netflix to do a choose your own adventure oh yeah okay yeah that should have been this entire episode. I'm going to tweet that right now. About. You should. <laughs> oh, fuck. Okay. So ratings, Kim, what yeah. do you think of the number 23? It's hard because, you know, as much as we, we shat on not being able to understand this movie, I love terrible movies a lot. Yeah. And poor Ned just deserved so much, so much more than this movie afforded him. Yeah. Poor Ned. Is a two out of four way too high, John? I don't know. It's not a two out of four in quality, but in watchability, total two out of four. Quality and watchability are two different things. You're grading on your own scale. It's fine. So two out of four. <laughs> can't, even, can't even finish the sentence without laughing at yourself. Oh, boy. I want to live in a world where there is a Jim Carrey movie. where he's For a, every mood. Yeah, <laughs> Jim Carrey for every mood. Just, just like a really bleak, washed out noir movie with Jim Carrey. Like, anyway. I didn't like this movie at all. Okay. Uh, one out of four. Lightning fast. One out of four. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. I don't want to watch it again. <laughs> lightning fast. But I mean, favorite I like some serious stuff. Jim Carrey movie and favorite humorous Jim Carrey movie. Uh, lightning round. Really fast. Can't think about it too much. I, I'm going to say the answer for both of those is kidding. Season one and two. Okay. Uh, Eternal Sunshine <laughs> of the Spotless Mind and Dumb and Dumber. Oh, yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. Shit, he's got a lot of good movies. Yeah. He just, I like, almost chose Ace Ventura, but I Dumb and Drummer just like squeaks ahead a little bit. And I'm, Eternal Sunshine is just fucking amazing. I'm also drawing a blank right now on some of his movies. Like, yeah, Eternal Sunshine, fantastic. I feel like there's some other ones. Oh, you know what? No, I'm taking it all back. Oh, I'm taking it all back. Favorite, favorite funny role? Man on the Moon. Favorite serious role? Is the, it Man on the, the Moon? The documentary yeah. about Man on the Moon. <laughs> Holy shit. 
That's the Jim Carrey this generation needs. The very sad, depressed, stoic, philosophical Jim Carrey. I follow his Instagram for that very reason. Oh, yeah. Because he's so depressing, and I kind of love it. And I'm telling you right now, that's why you guys need to watch Kidding. Season one and season two, it is definitely the darkest show on television, but also... You, it gives you the impression that you could let your kids watch it. And oh, yeah. to a it's, degree, you should. It's Jim Carrey's Death to Smoochie. Yes! Yeah. Very much so. Yep. I, 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 I don't want to talk about it too much, but I highly encourage you to check it out. It's really good. So, side note, you gave your birthday pick a one out of four. I just want you to know that. Are you ready, ready for another definite one out of four? My birthday this year, my birthday picks this year are a gift to everyone. <laughs> They are not a gift to me. <laughs> I want to I stress that right now. And I, I will say that those things that I said are good about the number 23, I think are great about the number 23. I, like, I, I think I even like some of the saxophone stuff. It's so dumb. It's so, a two out of four. I'm, I'm pumping it up. It's a two out of four. <laughs> okay, so moving on to possibly... The gold standard of So Bad It's So Good. A movie that is even more unwatchable, even unwatchablier. That's it. <laughs> This movie scrambles your brains and mixes up your dictionary. Oh, boy. We're talking about Lindsay Lohan's. I'm calling it hers. (laughs) It is hers. Yeah, oh, yeah. And you know what? Honestly, a perfect pick for my birthday because it is inspired by the director's own words, the films of Brian De Palma and David Lynch. We are talking about I Know Who Killed Me. She knew how to turn her life into a movie and watch things happen. Not to her, but to a girl who looked just like her. How would she ever find her other half? She knew only that she had to try. She had no choice. Aubrey, you talk about it like she's real. It's a stupid assignment for class. Aubrey, wait! I'll meet you in front of the free mod at 1145. Aubrey! Where's Aubrey? <laughs> Is there any chance that your daughter might have run away? Was she unhappy about anything? No, not at all. Hey, are you okay? Oh my god, oh my god. Yeah. Is she alive? How bad? Hey, honey, for sure didn't miss you. Aubrey, we're gonna have you home in no time. Who are you? Who is Aubrey? I know I may look a little like this Aubrey chick, but I'm not her. Then what should I call you? My real name would be nice. Dakota Moss. So you must be Aubrey's boyfriend. Sometimes people create alter egos to relay information that their primary personalities would never reveal. I brought some of your things to make you feel more at home. Who gave you this? Why are you doing this? I can't really explain. I think I'm Aubrey's twin sister. You see? You're all by yourself in there. No twin sister. Once he finds out you're still alive, he's gonna come after you. I feel like he's watching us right now. He's not done with Aubrey Fleming, not by a long shot. Stop playing games. We have to know the truth. She looks just like her, but it ain't Aubrey. She's living inside a world she made up. You'd let both of us die just to keep your secret? You should be dead by now. I know who killed me. From 2007, 
I Know Who Killed Me is currently sitting at a 3.6 out of 10 on IMDb, 9% on Rotten Tomatoes, and 1.6 out of 5 on Letterboxd. Wow. So we always like to, at the top of the show, kind of talk about our context in relation to seeing a film. Sure. Um, This film should be no different because... uh, I own this movie. Oh, yeah. We and have a physical copy. Like an at-release copy. Like, you have your choice of widescreen or full screen. When Do you, you remember that time <laughs> when that was what you got to choose? Widescreen or full screen? Uh, to be truthful, I think my mom bought this movie, and it just kind of made its way into my personal collection. I just love that Lindsay Lohan. She's just such an independent spirit. This one looks like a departure from her regular stuff, but, I mean, it's it looks dark. <laughs> So this movie kind of, I don't know, it it came at a really good time for me because it was the end of high school. I literally watched this movie with a good friend like every afternoon. We would just spend an absurd amount of time dedicated to just laughing at this film. And honestly, I think it's tainted me a little bit. How many times do you think you've seen this? Fifteen. Like, well, that's not that many. That's a lot. That's a lot for a bad movie. Sure. A lot for a really bad movie. Honestly, though, and, and I, I'm chalking it up to two things. The fact that I've seen this film so many times, I'm probably desensitized to it. Sure. Two, we're in quarantine, so everything, I don't know, I just love it. Yep. What is quality anymore? I don't know. <laughs> and I think I, I found things I enjoyed about this movie, and I found- Oh, it's got spots. I found things that were good. Dare I say good? And I'm so afraid to talk about them because I think Twitter is going to tear me a new one. No, this movie is not without its supporters. We we have two articles, both recently published, glowing reviews of this movie for different reasons. Paul like, and Mac, right? Paul and Mac. Paul loves this movie and believes that it deserves its due and that that time will come one day. <laughs> Mac, on the other hand, uh, who spears the awfully good column, thinks that it's awful and good. <laughs> See, I mean, I'm I think I'm in the awful and good camp, but I don't know. I've never watched it before critically to talk about. Sure. And I found so many like little glimmers and little glimpses that I was just like, "Oh shit, were you were you trying to make a great movie?" When you say you're watching it critically, that sounds like one, this is the first time you've watched it sober. <laughs> or, or it's the first time you've watched it because like when you're not really when you know you don't like it yeah but when you're wa- when you're hate watching something with a friend you're I say, on your phone i say that i say that in the nicest sense like when you're hate watching with friends you're doing it to riff like it's it's your own little night at the movies mystery science theater thank you i was yeah. like what's that thing with the robot and the alien in the front row yeah so the intent isn't to watch the movie. It's just to riff with your friends. And I mean, this movie has a lot to riff on. Like it's got Lindsay Lohan stripping in three different segments. So... The DVD has an extended sequence of oh. that, that strip team. With no copyright music. It's just this like It's repeating... got the temp track. Yeah. Oh, it's not good. We uh, watched all the, the extended sequences and stuff. It's uh, We'll get into them. If it's been a little while or you've forgotten and how could you... Uh, Lindsay Lohan plays a high school student named Aubrey who's got, you know, the picture-perfect life. She's a great pianist. She's a star athlete. She's dating the star athlete. Is she into athletics? She doesn't really like him, though. Not really. She's she's a good writer, I guess. She's an aspiring writer, let's say that. And disappears one day because there's a serial killer around. But when she, when her body, mutilated body, is found on the side of the road, suddenly she thinks she's Dakota Moss and, uh... There's no recollection of her previous life. And that's just kind of where we go. And so it, a lot of it is trying to figure out 
who this girl is, what's happened to her, and if she isn't Aubrey, where is Aubrey? <laughs> I don't know why I felt the need to synopsize this movie. I haven't done that in episodes. Like, it's been <laughs> so long since I've done that, but I'm like, let hold on to your butts for a second. Well, this- <laughs> let me get you up to speed. <laughs> this movie does something, so I guess it's it's good to kind of lay out the the basic plot while we kind of jumble through it sure it's not a movie that we're gonna be going beat by beat unless of course we're talking about that extended intro that's on this dvd now i'm sure we're all aware of the 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 alternate ending of the movie in fact i thought that was just the original ending when we watched it but alternate intro is no fucking different than the real intro except it's just a little bit longer The, the intro of this movie is red and blue lights swirling together in the ripples of the water as we see it reflected and but 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 and then you know like those ripples and then those ripples stop and we see that it's oh it's the sign for a strip club the The, leg is flashing the leg is flashing don't you love it no and the arm it's fine i loved it but the extended (laughs) intro the alternate intro is the exact same thing. But we start on a boat. We start, yeah, it's like a boat that fades to lattice, that fades to water, back to the boat, back to the ripple that you normally see. Like, what kind of alt? what kind, what is he trying to say with that? Yeah, there's nothing to do with a boat. Yeah, it, I should mention, because it's probably going to be the cornerstone of everything that I talk about, uh, Chris Sivertson, who is the director of this movie, um, has gone on record and talked about taking inspiration from Alfred Hitchcock, Brian De Palma, and David Lynch to make this movie. And while I can see that he is a fan of those filmmakers, I don't know that the inspiration he's pulling really works in this movie. Uh, But it is all over it. And I, I think that opening is supposed to be some large, like in his mind is this largely pretentious thing that we could analyze like we analyze any five seconds the of boat? Twin Peaks. Yeah. Okay. Uh, it should also, we should also say that if you haven't seen the film, um, blue and red make predominant appearances in almost every shot. So. Yo, you got to watch it twice to pick up on it though. It's <laughs> so subtle that you really don't notice it the first time around. I just want to say too, before we really get into this, we're not even, we've barely scratched the surface talking about this movie. The second bad movie that we're talking about for this week's episode. I'm exhausted. <laughs> I am drained of energy. We're not even done. I just put out of my mind that we had to talk about this podcast. Because when you said, hey, do you mind walking the dog before we record? I went, oh, fuck. We got to talk about that movie? Just watching it was enough for me. I don't like doing this. (laughs) (laughs) Need I remind you that this is your week episode? I know. (laughs) I picked these movies and it's my fault. Okay. It took at least halfway through the movie for me to realize that Aubrey is a high school student. (laughs) So there's a lot of like really fast, confusing scenes in the very beginning. We we open on Dakota doing her striptease at this strip joint, this very sad striptease at the strip joint. And then we cut to who we learned to be Aubrey reading some fiction in front of her class. So we assume that it's a story that she's telling. Yeah, and then there's a few random quick shots so we can get who this teenage girl is who might, may or may not be a stripper by night. <laughs> she has a boyfriend who gives her a blue rose but is 
she doesn't really like him when she's in class, but then there's a football game and she likes him again. And then she goes missing. That's all we learn about Aubrey. That and she plays piano. Oh, and she, yeah, she plays piano. And she thinks about maybe sleeping with the gardener, but no. That's a really bizarre scene. Because it never comes back. I think that's supposed to be her entertaining the idea that, like, let's say She Dakota, could be Dakota. Well, yeah, because it's a character. Like, maybe she's just trying to, like, tap into that mindset before she can go upstairs and write about it or whatever. But, like, eh. I just assume that there was a, a deleted scene of Dakota sleeping with the gardener. Like, when Dakota's at the house. If she showed up halfway through this movie and just started fucking everybody well she does with the boyfriend (laughs) well yeah she that is such a bizarre moment that is the we're not there yet john okay but we're not there yet but i'm up here right now i'm worried that i won't be when we get back to (laughs) it we're still at aubrey Uh, aubrey's boring she is but like they don't give her anything to do right she's like we try and show that there's some personality to her but it just falls she's so bland and you know i i wanted to do this podcast and i really wanted to avoid talking about lindsay lohan because i mean there's there's not really more to say about her i mean during this film she was going in and out of rehab she was literally in an outpatient facility when they were filming this she would come right from rehab to filming and then back to rehab you know and honestly that's that's actually only one of like several problems they had yeah, I think she had appendicitis. She had appendicitis, yeah. yeah. So, well, I mean, it could have just been like a PR cover. For that her. is true. Um, but yeah, so she's she was in the 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 prime of her turbulent time. Apparently, there are scenes in this movie where the paparazzi's are in the background. That's crazy. Because that's how like that's how that's what two thousand seven was like with Lindsay Lohan. Yeah, and and this is kind of her you know her rebellion role. She's trying to do something that's going from being known as a Disney star and a childhood thing to this like racy thriller. Unfortunately, it does not paint her in a very flattering light. She looks much older. Uh, That's partly why I had such a hard time believing she was a high school student. Yeah. And like, she looks a little rough. That's, that's all I'm going to say. That's putting it out there. And, and it hurts Aubrey's character because of it, because she's so bland and dry and like just really tired. Mm. So, I believe her as Dakota. Sure. She she's looks like giving she's lived me, that life. Yeah. yeah, she's giving me full out Dakota, but Aubrey is just nothing to me. Yeah. It's unfortunate, too, because it was definitely like a matter of media. Like, 2007 was horrible for, for paparazzi-type stuff. I mean, like, that's like the height of Perez Hilton, too, and, like, that's just a bad scene. So, like, the world decided this is the one girl we're going to pick on, and, you know, that'll wear you down. And, and you see it. But um, all of that aside, just to, just focusing on her professional work, I, I've never really been impressed by her work, unfortunately. Like, well, you're I a fool. No, I'm kidding. Well, apparently I'm just not watching enough reality TV. Like, I got to make that ketchup salad with the bits of bread she's torn up on. Oh, God. I mean, she she did have this really cool thing going on when she was, she was a really great child star. She had the ability to actually act where most child stars, I would say, are the majority terrible. Yeah. I would say like Lindsay Lohan and Macaulay Culkin are the two child stars that I, or no, uh, Mara Wilson too, who really could act at that age. You know, I was just thinking, like, I honestly think she just hasn't had the right casting because, I mean, I've seen her in, I've seen her in some movies that I think are not very good that I think she's great in, like The Hills, uh, the Paul Schrader movie that Bretty St. Ellis wrote. Really trashy, really trashy movie. But there are some scenes where she's fucking amazing in it. She could be like a Karen Black. She's just not in the right roles. 
So and and what I what what I'm getting at here is like with a movie like I know who killed me, it's hard to point fingers at what made it wrong. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Because like I you know I'm not a huge fan of her of her acting here in this movie. I don't think the direction's incredibly good. Like all of it pieces together. The editing together, is it, wonky. Yeah, it's just the- it's a lot of people making a lot of decisions that just don't necessarily work. Yeah. And it's also a weird choice, too, to do this, like, doppelganger, maybe twin movie with Lindsay Lohan, just simply because her most notorious role was the Parent Trap Oh, I didn't remake. even think about that. That's Oh, if she did another one in 10 years from now, and we got the unofficial doppelganger trilogy. Well, The Parent Trap came out in 1998, and this came out in 2007, so it's literally, like, this 10-year departure, and, like, yeah. look how much has changed. Nothing. I'm still a twin. Like... <laughs> And, and Freaky Friday had like a body switching thing, so it's almost like there's this this theme in Lindsay oh, Lohan's career of this duality or this I don't know. Not- and I mean, like we could talk about how that kind of plays into like her personal life and her professional <laughs> life and what you see on screen and stuff. But the movie also doesn't really do a good job highlighting its killer. You know, like we have a few like weird eight second cutaway scenes of the cops going like, we found another body, another body. What are you talking about? And like, we're supposed to establish from that, that there is a serial killer serial killer in yeah. the area. One girl goes missing, second girl goes missing. And then all of a sudden we're in like a temporary base they've set up to, to hunt this killer. I love the And detect- there's a bunch of girls. There's a bunch of girls. Uh, yeah. I was under the impression one girl was missing before Lindsay Lohan got kidnapped, but yeah. she is the third girl. I- or four? I think so. There were a couple girls on that wall. I love that cops in movies, when it's super serious and they've got a task force, the no cops lights. The so bad. The cops are terrible. The in this cops movie. were the. So, okay. But nobody ever works in like proper lighting. Everybody's like, we, we insist to be in a basement with only one lamp for the 30 of us. That way it looks like we're super high tech. <laughs> the only lighting source in here is our computer screens, and we won't rest until we find this girl. The best acting in this film comes from. Everybody in the periphery. None of the lead actors, save for the mom, I liked the mom, yep. are borderline awful. Two characters really stood out to me. One was the orderly who wakes up to Coda, uh, oh, yeah. has a line, best performance of the whole movie. Best outfit of the movie, <laughs> let's be real. I would wear it. Believable. Second was the other orderly slash oh. nurse who pulls a curtain when the mom and the detective oh, fighting. are fighting <laughs> in like, yeah, the middle I'm of just the hospital. <laughs> just closes a curtain because the detective has left crime scene photos like of a mutilated underage female victim naked with another victim unattended i can understand a moment okay it's still stupid of them to do but like i can understand where maybe they show her photographs sure why leave them like Let here them with here's her. some keepsakes like everything else in a ho- in a hospital room is like here's a teddy bear here are some flowers some get well soon cards oh and your crime scene photos <laughs> Here's those mutilated photos you requested. Here's the corpse we thought you were gonna be. Yeah, so those are my favorite actors. The detectives were awful. I thought you were gonna talk about the manager of the strip club. <gasps> she is also, I forgot about She's her. She's incredible. She's fantastic. I want an entire art gallery that is just photos of Honestly, that Honestly, you know who I think it is? Let me check real quick. I think that is the woman that plays the nun. The nun? You know the actress? No shit. I think oh, it might you, you be you mean her. in the movie The Nun. In The Nun. She plays Valak. Valak. Uh, Man, her... Uh, I'm she... checking. I'm checking right now. I'm I just, think it's her. I'm vamping here. It's okay. I'm so <laughs> excited. No, I think it's her. I'm sorry. You don't even have validation yet. <laughs> it is! She's 
awesome in this movie and she says like 10 words but she embodies oh. the world that dakota comes from she looks so perfect with her just a fucking face, cigarette oh, hanging off hanging, her god and her eyeshadow is like sparkly yeah. oh she's bony in all these right spots and it's it's weird to talk about like how she's not like an atypical beautiful person and say that, that that's what i love about her but that's what i love about the her. camera just wants to look at her like yes. just like write more scenes for this manager make her the protagonist she was the best and then when uh dakota's bleeding profusely because her finger has just fallen off you're and gonna she, need another towel she doesn't want to go to the hospital well she doesn't care is what it comes down to it's just like how get are you out of get here home? yeah yeah she's yeah, exactly that's that's exactly what she's saying and like the the bit of help that she's willing to give is like I guess you should take another towel. I love it. Oh. I love that character. I love that actress, and I need her in more movies. Now, obviously, as a horror fan, she is in plenty, and I will continue to see her in the Conjuring series, and I'm very happy about that. Yeah. So her name is Bonnie Aaron's. Bonnie Aaron's. She was also in Drag MVP of this. She, she was also in Drag Me to Hell. I'm assuming that she did like the SFX of the. The gypsy woman. I'm... She probably played the hell. Oh, she probably is the gypsy woman. Um, right. Princess Diaries uh-huh. and Mulholland Drive. I'm seeing Mulholland Drive. <laughs> From across the room, I saw that. <laughs> what about David Lynch? What? Exactly. And there is there is some David Lynch stuff in this. I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it a bit. But you know, okay. I, while we're we're on a nice little positive train, let's talk about the red and the blue. For the most is this part, a positive train? Well, I'm going to build up to a great moment okay. I think is so awesome. But there is too fucking much red and blue in this movie. And the problem... Every... Sorry. The, the <laughs> biggest problem is that the blue is like... If, if Pepto-Bismol wanted to come out with a blue edition, Ugh. that is the blue of this film. Ugh. Blue Rose Blue is Pepto-Bismol blue. Y'all I'm want to drink some chalk? Yeah, it is a very chalky... Cyan printer ink blue. And everything, her hat, her coat, the background of photos, like every single thing in her room that isn't a post-it note or a MacBook is blue and I hate it. Well, and just things that don't matter. Like I understand if you're doing it for like to call attention or for poetic reasons, but like the school colors are blue and everything related to everything else is blue. And Everything in her world is blue. Like the fucking phone that lights the LED screen behind the phone when it lights up to when the police are calling her parents is blue Ev- everything in new salem where she lives blue Every- oh new salem Ev- oh. i know everything in in dakota's world red as fuck red walls red doors red dresses red lighting Ugh, i don't like it but i don't like any of it also inexplicably and i haven't cracked this code yet i was i was thinking on it while we were watching i thought about it last night and i thought about it today and i have no idea what it what it means but halfway through the film yellow is introduced and I, then yep. there's a shit ton of yellow also and but a bunch of characters just wearing the fuck out of some yellows like yellow pants yellow shirt yellow, yellow car shirt <laughs> yellow car exactly i don't know what it means is i think it, it just means that they are like neutral characters like they aren't they're, they're, they're not supposed to be like under suspicion. Like, the film is, like, subtly trying to reveal who the killer is just by the outfitting? Well, I think it has to. I mean, like, the fucking, the, the killer's all about blue also. Yeah. Like, that's the thing. Like, how can how can your killer be hella blue and also the victim be hella blue? Like, And then there's other girl who is a victim of not, not the killer, but a victim of circumstance? Red. You're talking about Dakota. Yeah. Well, it's it's to paint their two worlds differently. And, like, you know, unfortunately, like... And yellow is... I don't think... I don't yellow think, is... Not, it should be purple. Purple is the is the, right. the combining of... Right, they would have tied of... it to get... Honestly, by the end of this, 
Dakota should have been wearing purple. That would have been fine. I would have been totally okay with that. Because, like, at some point, she's she's very over this whole thing. But, I mean, she's going with it because these people paid for her hospital visit. And, you know, hospitals are for rich people. Um, which, to be honest, She's true. never grateful, though. Never. In fact, to say thank you, she just fucks the shit out of their daughter's boyfriend upstairs where they can hear it. It is a Kind of vindictive scene. in the way a daughter would be who's using this alter ego to... I guess. I don't know. Get over at, trauma? At that point, we're also supposed to be, like... We're, we're supposed to be under the assumption that this could still be Aubrey. We haven't really nailed down that it is a second person. It is left as a surprise whether you are seeing a Dakota is real or if Aubrey is delusional. Yeah. Now, that said, though... Dakota does have a bunch of memories of working at a strip club. They could be fake. The but stories. they could be fake. Yeah. That said, though, there is an incredible moment in this movie that is just it's awesome it looks so great and it's so worth all the dumb red and blue leading up to it where they are <laughs> leaving the i think hospital or they're going yeah back so from... they have a police escort from the hospital yeah. to take dakota slash aubrey it's dakota <laughs> to aubrey's house with her parents and the police cruiser lights are flashing red and blue red and blue but like the way the way that it's 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 presented in the movie it's that the, the blue sort of saturates the whole scene and then the red flashes directly on dakota's face and it looks awesome it looked great it's incredible i yeah. loved that moment and it's at a moment where she's going home to like she's conceded to live this life as aubrey at least for now yeah she so knows she's who putting, she is she's got to pretend to be this other person yeah and it's right at this moment where she's she's had to make this decision like okay well now i'm going to this other girl's life yeah it's great uh, for that moment it was amazing and if if it was something that was used a little more sparingly and just a little more subtly throughout the rest of the film yeah that would have just been Oh, amazing. 10 out of 10. This movie is hitting on, firing on all cylinders. And the thing, too, is the transition was even good because we transitioned with the police light. Unfortunately, before that, we had a hundred other transitions where there was just, like, inexplicable fire or, like, just (laughs) a flash of red and then we fade to a strip club and then the strip club's in, like, red, lucid, sepia tone. And we, like, zoom in and out of focus and, like, they made Lindsay Lohan, like, really damp. And it... Yeah, yeah. I'm not gonna. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about how she looked during the, the strip tease. <laughs> okay, no, there wrong. is. I'm. I'm actually working to something. There's okay. another moment in the strip club scene which I almost. There's moments where I look away because I'm just it's the really, grossest moment on film, right? <laughs> I'm. Re- I'm not talking about that moment. Okay. I'm not talking about it. It's gross. It's a dude with a cigarette. If, if for anybody in the know, um, super gross. But there's an another like just, like glimpse of brilliance in that moment, and maybe this is like quarantine Kim just. Looking for nods where nods may not be. But halfway through her crawling on the floor, she looks up at the disco ball and there's all these disjointed faces in it. Of of her, right? Yeah. It's the killer in there. Oh, shit. Um, But then there's a bunch of these like nondescript creepy men also almost Rubik's cubed into it because disco balls like tiny pieces of glass. And it looks pretty wonderful. Except the, the killer's like actually sitting lurking in the shadows and there's like this foggy glimpse of him. Um, but if she had just seen the disco ball, that's something that that both girls can kind of relate to is that the, there's these like mysterious, creepy men in their lives. Sure. Aubrey's been kidnapped by one. Yeah. Her <laughs> one. kidnapping, by the way, is terrible. It is not good. It's- she just goes missing, 
completely off camera. Well, yeah, we like fade to black and then there's, I think, and because uh, I'm like forgetting this movie while I'm watching We it. fade to something. Maybe that's the fire sequence. <laughs> Maybe. And then, yeah, her friends are like, where is she? It's like, we, we just had a packed street full of people and now it's empty and they're just like really poorly looking around for her. And then, yeah, she's just disappeared. She's just gone. I don't understand why we have to hide the killer. Yeah, two things this film leaves kind of really as an afterthought, and they are very important. Like, don't let this film get you twisted. They are very important. Who the killer is and why the fuck Aubrey and Dakota exist. Yeah, well, like, the the movie is definitely not very interested in the twist of who the killer is because it's, like, the ace up its sleeve, I guess, is that the, the real twist is the relationship between these two girls, that they are different people. They're twins, Hello. It's oh, a fucking meant the two girls opera. that were murdered. No, I mean, like, well, the connection is the killer, essentially, I guess. But just the fact that we are, like, season 12 into Young and the Restless. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, dad's, you're... So, <laughs> thrown away in one scene where Aubrey yells at dad in his office, we find out that actual Aubrey, or the, the kid that Aubrey's parents had together, died in the hospital. I don't know what fucking hospital this hap- this went down how in. Do you, yeah, how do you just get everybody in the hospital to go with this? Yeah, and Aubrey's mom was a crackhead who had twins, and dad just paid for one of them. Yeah. And then was like, whoop! Everything's fine. Okay, another, another big hole. For some ex- inexplicable reason, the detectives did a DNA test <laughs> on Aubrey... And Dakota and found out they were the same DNA. Yeah, so they're trying to say that she is Aubrey, is what they're trying to get at. One, I don't know why the cops would be doing that. They're trying to find a killer. It doesn't really make sense to yeah, me. Yeah, you're the girl. Like, you're, yeah. you're right here. We She's... compared your DNA against your DNA, and it turns out it's your DNA. Yeah. Like, why would you do that? But. Because, <laughs> yeah, they're always operating under the assumption that she's just got some sort of, like, uh, like trauma has induced this this alternate character that she's embodied. Well, and then we also find out that she's literally writing a story about Dakota and her crackhead mom. And, the, yeah. They're... On her laptop. Ugh, <laughs> oh, crack the case, guys. Ugh, oh, where do we go from here? Well, I was going to come back to that sex scene, because it's a doozy but like the thing that gets me the most about that really prolonged sex scene where mom just rather than going outside because she doesn't want to hear her daughter have you know loudly have sex with her boyfriend upstairs she just <laughs> she's just scrubbing the same area of the sink over and over <laughs> like nah, i gotta get this place clean it's the music in the movie i think the music is so bad really not good at all so bad i've and i've heard i've seen some praise from people who talk about the score of the movie being very good but I did not hear it at all. And like, so it might be fine. I don't know. I'm talking specifically about the music accompaniment in the movie because it's very not good. This the the song that they use, like the several songs they use for the striptease, the sex scene. Every fucking moment of this movie has. Oh my god, when she's like writing and she's listening to her iPod, and it's oh. just like the dumbest, dumbest music you've ever heard. Like it's it's as bad as that song Lola keeps listening to. Hey, don't knock ones. that song. That's an amazing song. It's amazing because it's juxtaposed against a crazy person. <laughs> like, yeah, okay. But it's a good song. <laughs> but still, good song. But, hmm. Am I not good enough? Oh, yeah, nailed it. And na, 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 na. I don't know any of the words. That's fine. I don't think, I don't <laughs> think Lola does anyway. Um, so She knows every word. She probably does. <laughs> the killer, like you said, has a appearance at the strip club, but he's definitely not actually there. No. Because she also sees him while she's waiting for the bus. 
Something else she sees while she's waiting for the bus. Graffiti of an owl. Oh, does she? She does. There's, I did not see there's that. There's a bunch of graffiti of an owl. And then, like, throughout the rest of the movie, it's like we're getting telekinetic messages from a fucking owl who's witnessing the murder. So this is literally another... Season of Silver Lake <laughs> movie. Oh, Under the Silver Lake? Yeah. I, I guess so. That's the only explanation you ever have for anything that doesn't make sense. Like, no, 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 no. Maybe it's, maybe it's more complex than we ever thought. And I think that's what they're going for here because the owl plays such a key part in the second and third act of the movie when we need to start having info dumped on Lindsay Lohan in order. Like you need to find the corpse of yourself. (laughs) Yeah, and I think good thing owls always roost in the exact same spot. The owls are not what they appear, right? Like I think, (laughs) but I mean, owls are also like a key part in Twin Peaks. Let's not get into that. But like, I think that's largely like a bunch of David Lynchy type stuff. And like, you see David Lynch stuff over the mostly Twin Peaks stuff and I, I, I get the inspiration I don't know that it's doing the movie any good okay so there's another info dump that I really enjoy are we talking about the mirror kind of hey, hey yeah yeah <laughs> so at, at right at the like height of the film things are starting to escalate we were running out of time Aubrey is running out of air Dakota has a full out like vision in her mirror where she sees the creek and the berry scene. Yeah, this is through the eyes of the owl. Is it? I think that's what it, that, that's the impression I got. Oh, okay, but well, whatever. She's having a full out vision. Yeah. There, there's a moment, and I hate these fucking roses, but I really enjoyed a, the logic of it. It's good. I, li- the, <laughs> I liked it too. Okay, so the, the petals fall off this vase of roses that are on Aubrey's dresser. Yeah. And the roses flutter down and then do a 90 degree turn and fall into the mirror. And then in the mirror is this vision where the roses from the real universe are now falling into the creek and flowing down this creek to where the killer is burying Aubrey. Yeah. I love that the vision is... is cinematic like that's the thing that i always get like it's not just straight like we're looking through the owl's eyes oh or, no that owl or if we're it's seeing... the owl the owl is flowing gently over the creek to yeah. this tree it's the owl's just like we need some establishing shots what if i i was thinking what if i just like uh like steady cammed in down the water up the roses <laughs> into the grave and the, the, the killer's like yeah you do you man i'm not gonna tell you how to do your job <laughs> it's nuts but that logic she should, she should at least stigmata just... is not visions oh if we're gonna talk about stigmata can we talk about the fucking like home video rental she has <laughs> where art bell plays himself smoking a cigarette talking about simpatico twins experiencing stigmata oh man i just want to you know um i don't know if anybody else does this but as a horror fan it's my responsibility to shout out vagina dentata at least once a year yeah i'm gonna do that now with stigmata <laughs> stigmata <laughs> that's good thank you art bell it's still blowing my mind that we didn't just see through the eyes of her twin sister Lindsay lohan uh anyway it doesn't matter the point is she gets an idea of where to go she doesn't she doesn't even know where to go she just runs to a cemetery and then she finds a grave that's got her name on it. 
Oh Aubrey's yeah, she has the it. vision. But then, but then it, when she blinks and looks back, it's it's Jennifer Toland, I think, the girl, one of the other other girls who's been killed. But on the grave is a fucking calling card from the killer. Oh my god! So I forgot too. That moment is really good. What's good about that? I loved it. No, I did. No. I did. Are you, okay, are we talking specifically about? So she reads. She reads the back of the the Metal blue or ribbon, whatever it is. Yeah, and it's like blue rib. Blue is for winners. Never go with the red. That doesn't make sense. Never, never settle for red. Is that is that second place? I think so. We needed that. You know, the one thing this movie assumes is that we are all competitive pianists. Like, <laughs> who the fuck knows what color a ribbon is? But anyway, we get to this shot. The Kim loves. I'm not even making eye contact with her right it's now. It's really good. It, <laughs> so <laughs> we have a moment of uh, of Dakota discovering the ribbon, uh, and also at the same time Aubrey buried alive in her grave with a veil over her mouth. Sure, and that's 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 soaked in blue. Dakota's soaked in red, and they both are perpendicular to each other, kind of like the cover of the movie. Sure. And they're both reciting what's written on this ribbon. Not in unison, no, though. No, okay, whatever, though. But the visual of Aubrey with the veil over her head as this, like, ghostly figure saying these words that she's not even seeing because they're connected, simpatico. Dakota's reading them, and so Aubrey's reading them out loud. Yeah. In her grave is fucking lovely. And then to spin out of that shot, we, we focus now on Aubrey who does a perpendicular spin, and dirt is literally dumped on the top of that frame. Dirt, John. Ooh, dirt. <sighs> Big fan of dirt. Love dirt. I thought it was fucking great. <laughs> That's fine. I'm glad it you liked it. wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the showdown with the killer is also just like, so long like we have so many reveals at the end of this movie but also like, still you bought weird. my sister from my mother and you've been sending her money her entire life and you've been keeping it from your wife and then we, oh the killer is this person and then we get to the house and then it's a very long time and then they split up and dakota stays in the car they don't call the cops no why would you do that you only know where your missing daughter is where the ki- where the person who kidnapped her is, and, and also the person responsible for several other killings, a murderer who's got no motivation to be like, yeah, you know, you're right. I will go peacefully into the night with you. Like that's not not gonna happen. Well, yeah. So dad at some point gets murdered and is thrown, off screen, thrown inexplicably on like a medical cut you up table. Yeah, he. I, I don't know. Yeah, I guess at some point he got stabbed somewhere and has just been slowly bleeding out. On this drainage table. And Dakota full out cuts the murderer's hand off. Well, like, ugh. Yeah. Yeah. His, Is cutting his... a hand off ever in self-defense? Sure. Can you argue that? Like, sure, knifing at somebody while they're trying to get their arm through a door or whatever. But she full out, like, jams his hand in the door and saws it off. Yeah. The whole... This isn't the Evil Dead universe, John. Sure. Um... But it's simpatico. (laughs) (laughs) You you know, eye for an eye, hand for a hand. Yeah, maybe it's supposed to mean, like, all that more because he's a pianist, so, like, his hand means so much more to him than it would say to, you know, the rest of us who use our hands. Well, I think it's also just like, you motherfucker, you cut my hand off, I'm gonna cut off yours now, too. Like, that's part of it. I just don't understand how... It's it's hard to get into, like, the 
the technicality of that scene but like there's no way that he wouldn't have been able to pull his hand back like it's it, he let her cut her <laughs> cut his hand off and then she 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 gets into a, a fight with him after we find him just like slamming his bloody fist down on a piano he makes the greatest face in the world when she stabs him in the throat by the way it's uh you can't see it but it, it looks like this <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what the face looks like <laughs> and and then he just slowly walks off into his weird den of leg prosthetics of prosthetic legs yeah why why did he have prosthetic legs i don't know why he's got an obsession with it like they could have like okay sure maybe piano teaching isn't paying the bills maybe he is a person who makes prosthetic well, legs and i also think he makes stained glass because the stained that's glass that's definitely a hobby the stained glass coffin the stained glass on the front door yeah there's blue stained glass everywhere he even wears a blue stocking i honestly so i don't get the prosthetics but i thought he was killing these people because they were unappreciative of their talent yeah or yeah. Uh, yeah and so he was just like well if you don't want to use it you're gonna lose it <laughs> <What>? <laughs> that, that's his killer mentality uh, the old high school adage <laughs> <laughs> that's his mo <laughs> i yeah like how how long did he think that he was gonna be able to do this before the cops were like well i mean the common denominator is this asshole over yeah, here yeah he has like a money trail w- with all these parents like yeah he's he would be invited to all of those funerals that's so true. Well, I mean, he left something on the grave of one of those girls. Yeah. He is not not worried about getting caught at all. Not at all. Ugh. These cops suck. Like, they haven't even talked to him once. But yeah, so it turns out Aubrey and Dakota are twins. Whoa! And Dakota uses her bionic arm that we don't even, like, there's... Uh, the, how they so treat people who've use. lost their limbs in this movie is just like, it's fine. You just have to take an identity of somebody who's affluent and who can afford futuristic prosthetics and you'll never have to learn how to walk again. Yeah. Oh, the other David Lynch thing of this movie. <laughs> is when she's she's just start she just lost her finger she's about to lose like more of her hand and she meets that guy on the bus and the bus is, and she's like don't you want to know what happened oh my to god me? i forgot about the dream sequence yeah and he's with like him. some some you know you get cut sometimes that's just what happens and then there's, yeah there's a dream sequence where he's got like a heart with wings on it and like it comes alive and it's it's so dumb you get cut sometimes yeah and he's supposed to be like some weird angel type figure who's coming to her i don't even fucking know what he's supposed to be i don't know but it's it's like out of the worst episodes of twin peaks and the best parts of Mulholland drive and, and it's just it doesn't work None of it works. I love when she tells that story to her boyfriend or to Aubrey's boyfriend, like post coitus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And tells this whole story and he asks the question, like, how did you get those then if you're not Aubrey? Like her her arm amputated and her leg amputated. And then she repeats literally right after we see this guy on the bus say it to Dakota in her story, you get cut sometime. Like, yeah. No, <laughs> not good dialogue. But there is also a moment where he's like, I believe you, you know, and she's like, I just fucked you. Of course you believe me. <laughs> like that part's good. That's funny. Uh, no, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's a movie. So, so alternative ending. Do you want to talk about the. Yeah, the alternate ending. I think everybody's. Did I just say alternative ending? You did say alternative ending. Weird. This movie is very alternative. (laughs) Alternatively, this film ends. (laughs) (laughs) You know, despite what you may think while you're deep in the trenches of it, this movie does end. (laughs) Yeah, the alternate ending is strange because in my mind, it was always the ending. I cannot fucking imagine this walking out of the theater when this movie ends because she pulls her up out of the grave and then they're just laying beside each other. 
and we cut away to the river where the where the rose petals had fallen into, and then credits. And that's the end of the movie. Nothing else. But in the alternate ending, there is a quick coda scene where uh, Aubrey or Dakota, I don't know, I think Aubrey, is sitting at her laptop writing out that last scene that we just saw, and then she takes a drag off a cigarette. Because she's both. Yeah, I guess. Also, her, her for no reason, her closet door opens. like And the killer's in it. <laughs> was he? Yeah. Oh, was he? He was in the mirror. Oh, fuck, I like this ending. <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> the best scene, or the best thing about that, and it saves the whole movie, because then it means the entire Does plot, it? the uh, the entire <laughs> confusing, like, oh, yeah, you're just my twin. And the, oh, yeah, he's just your piano teacher. All of those inexcusable plot fuck-ups are the mind of a teenage girl's writing. Well, it sure seems like it. Now can I propose an alternate theory? It's just bad high school writing. The It's very similar to what you're saying. Okay. Um, Everything in the movie is... Man, this is so weird. So the idea that the killer is in her closet, I'm, I'm proposing that everything in this movie happens as it does, but... It, it 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 does all, fuck how do i explain this okay so there's a moment in the beginning where she's you know she's at her class and then she goes home and she's trying to figure out how to work on act three of her novel um if you get a chance to watch this movie after 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 this just when whenever you get the opportunity to be in aubrey's room just take a look at some of those sticky notes on the wall oh fuck i loved it aubrey's act, plotting act two, maybe she's a girl and then <laughs> another another sticker just says loneliness <laughs> Just key to act two. That's you need that at the end of act two. It's true. Um, but there, there is a moment where she's at her laptop and then we kind of like fade into the next day, which I, at first when I was watching, I'm like, okay, this is where the fake story starts. Right. And then when we come back to the end of the movie, she's at her laptop and that's everything that we've seen with the exception of the first eight minutes of the movie is, is her made up story. Mm-hmm. But. But it's all true. She does have a twin, and that's how she's able to write these stories. And she's just intuitive enough to know that the piano teacher is going to kill her. And it all happens anyway. Like, that's just where, like, the movie basically starts again, where he kidnaps her from that point. He starts the cutting Ouroboros. off limbs. The Ouroboros. Yes, it's the Lynch effect. <laughs> the I know who killed me Ouroboros. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, my word. Yeah, so, um, I can't believe I found so many things that I loved. <laughs> There's some great stuff. It's been a first for me. Yeah, for the most part, though, it's pretty not good. But in a wonderful way. Eh. Sometimes not, but not- for the most part. I would watch this again right now. <sighs> well, you know, thankfully we don't have one, th- like, th- you can if you want, <laughs> but <laughs> you're watching it on the tablet or something because I'm not sitting through it again. <laughs> so what is your rating of I Know Who Killed Me? I don't like this movie. I don't think that should come as a surprise at this point. <laughs> you look tired. I'm exhausted. Yeah, it's it's uh Has it been a good birthday? <laughs> <laughs> Ugh, one out of four. One? One out of four. Like, okay, I see your one. I see it. Yeah. It's a valid one. Yeah. I respect your one. I'm going to give it a one and a half out of four. <laughs> can't go any higher than that i really want to you know it's it's occurring to me now you know like yeah i don't really like watching bad movies it's just not like something i like to do um i love watching bad movies okay i i I should take that back and say like 
I do like watching bad movies occasionally, but it's it's it, it takes a lot out of me. I just ugh. <laughs> oh, it's taxing. I would watch a bad movie over a good movie any day. Yeah, and I think that's where you and I diverge. It, is that, that you would prefer exactly, to yeah. watch a great movie? Yeah. Or just um, a movie that I like. It doesn't have to be a great movie. No, you hate rewatching movies. Don't even say that. Because I would prefer to watch something I've already seen mm. or a bad movie over seeing a new good movie. Oh yeah, I would. And that I, is, I would rather watch a new, like a movie that's new to me that I know nothing about versus anything else I've already seen. Doesn't matter whether I like it or. I hate just, it. I don't know. I, I. Now that said, though, this movie, uh, you know, like it's my birthday episode, and I could have picked anything. And you know, if you had to just pick names out of a hat, we might have wound up with a slightly noirish type movie, or a movie inspired by, if not directed by, Brian De Palma or David Lynch. And somehow we wound up with two movies just like that this episode. I want to point <laughs> that out. I am a huge noir fan. I love black and white shit that gets weird especially if they're solving a murder that makes no sense and you know it five minutes won't go by without me mentioning something by brian de palmer or david lynch and uh i don't know what kind of weird world we've slipped into where (laughs) that that means we're watching the number 23 and i know who killed me but hey it's been fun (laughs) (laughs) uh let us know what you think of these two films over on twitter at nofs podcast you can also find us in our facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash horror fiends of nofs Nightmare on Film Street is, of course, supported by fiends like yourself. Head over to patreon.com slash nightmare on Film Street to find out about all the amazing bonus content available to you as a monthly supporter of the show. We recently started recording Drive Home from the Drive-In reviews again because movies are back in the drive-in. It's very exciting. But until next time, I'm John. I'm Kim. Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive, but we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website, nofspodcast.com. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.